Gil Alexander betting dork Friday, April 30th. Wow, May tomorrow. No way better to take out the month. And I know I have I have made it officially now. He's on the show today. Vegas runner, VR, what is happening? My man, never better. Huge weekend ahead and uh, big weekend here in Vegas uh, with the fight. You know, the NBA playoffs always uh, bring a little more extra excitement since uh, we're, we have a lot of Los Angeles uh, transplants over here. Um, so the playoffs are always, always big in Vegas. But uh, when it's fight night, it's like nothing else. And uh, Mayweather tends to bring out uh, a big, nice crowd. So I'm, I'm really excited about this weekend, brother. It'll be good for betters, fans all around. Yeah, probably the certainly the biggest crowd since the NCAAs, that's for sure, I would imagine. Yeah. Absolutely. And the summer dies out. I mean, you don't really want to go to the desert in August. Um, so <laughs> it, it's like once the NBA playoffs are over, believe it or not, the city kind of slows down a bit, and it's all anticipation for the NFL coming up. Uh, and then once fall about to roll around, you feel the, the excitement once again start to build. I've been there in the dead of summer. I know, like, uh, I've been there on a 114-degree day. and Yeah, a dry heat. A dry it, heat. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's like walking through a blow dryer. That's how dry it is. <laughs> you know, by the second day when it's just 113, you're fine. It's no big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's just dry. <laughs> we don't have humidity, so we're lucky, they say. All right, so I want to get your thoughts, of course, uh, tonight on anything you want to talk about in terms of three NBA games. Actually, a pretty heavy NBA card for this deep into a playoff um, round. And then, of course, we do want to talk a bit about the Derby and the fight tomorrow and anything else you want to touch on. But I would like to get into sort of your daily routine. I mean, we get to hear you on Dan and Mike's show once a week. We obviously follow your picks as a pro, and we've gotten to know you as a community over time for sure. But I, at least, being a new guy, relatively speaking, here at pregame, and perhaps this is a, a sentiment shared by many, I don't really know exactly and i'd love to know what your process is from the moment you wake up in the morning to quite frankly when you go to bed at night take us into the world of vr if you would absolutely it's uh pretty routine to be honest with you uh you know this is an everyday business we we do the same thing more or less every day the only thing that changes is the board um, but as far as the routine, it's the same, more or less, regardless the sport. Um, the way my day starts off like this, um, as soon as I get up, what I do is I, I create a price once again for all the, the, the games. Um, I do it before I go to bed first, based strictly on my ratings and nothing else. I try not to add any public perception in the mix. I try not to add how the teams match up against each other, and I go strictly on power rating what the price should be. Next day, as soon as I get up, I redo it, and I create a new price. And that price, I, I start to factor in whether the team played last night, um, what happened in, with the box score. I try to break that down, and I adjust that number. And the way I look at it is I'm trying to make it a bit stronger, a little tighter. Um, then once I have my set prices, then I, I'll look at what the odds makers has sent to the books and what the books are putting up. And I like to compare and see where we differ. Um, to be honest with you, a lot of times we're right around the same number. And when that's the case, I'll break down the game later in the day and see if there's maybe a match matchup advantage or a situational advantage, even though there's not a, a big 
edge in the price. Um, otherwise, I have those games that I see the lines off and I circle them. Now I know I have to do a little more research because I, as much as I know that the odds makers are beatable and they're not some, you know, godlike creation that no one could beat and they just pull out these strong numbers, you know, from anywhere. Um, truth is, they're human beings like me or you. They have good days, they have bad days, they get in fights with their wives. I mean, you know, every day is a different situation. Their kid has to get to school. So, I mean, these are human beings and they're, they're going to have things that go on in their lives that, believe it or not, tend to affect the way they create these lines. And you see that from day to day. Fortunately, I've been in this business long enough that I've gone through a couple of different odds makers, and you start to pick up their tendencies. I mean, there's certain um, things that, that I could really point out that, that certain odds makers do. And certain teams they love, certain ones they don't. Make a long story short, you start to pick up their tendencies. Um, so you got to understand these people are just human beings. And they put out their price. And although I respect it when we're off, I, I like to take the, the approach of maybe VR missed something as, as much instead of having an ego and saying they're wrong and VR is right, my line's perfect. What I do is I like to spend the day and try to find out why is my line different? Um, so uh, after I created the line, and and uh, that's about I'm probably at about six a.m. by that time. Wow! Um, but then then I finish off my morning moves. Um, as soon as I finish off my morning moves, I start making my phone calls. And who I call are, are guys that I used to work with um, that were runners with me and still run for uh, a lot of these outfits. I talk to bookmakers. You got to remember, it's already noon. Um, back east, so those guys are already hard at work. Um, so I try to get all the information I can early, find out what the wise guys took positions on as soon as the line opened, and I also try to get from the runners what they're looking at for later, you know, try to, to pick off what games they're setting up. Um, and then I have all this information, and throughout the day what I do is try to analyze it. Um, and to do that, I work from my house, I try to hit a couple sports books throughout the day because you could pick up some great information from sports book managers, um, even better information from sports book ticket writers. Believe it or not, what's an example? Uh, because, I mean, what's an example they, of that? They, they not only know all the pros in town, but they also know who the public is, who the tourists is, who the squares are, and they give you some great information. And I, I take all that information, brother, and, and I try to create my card. And as soon as I do, I start firing away. I bet my own games, man. That That's the key. Uh, I mean, I made my living betting sports, not selling my opinion. Um, fortunately, I, I was offered this opportunity. I took on this venture. And uh, throughout my career, I've been asked a lot of times to do so. And I never did. I, I, I'll tell you the truth. I thought it was a scam business. I didn't think any of these guys actually won. Um, I thought they were marketers, not handicappers, mm -hmm. and most of them I'd see even in the books betting $20, $50 games, and I said, oh my God, here they are charging people this much for their pick, you know, and, and people are putting all this money. To make a long story short, um, you know, after meeting with RJ, I said, wow, this, this pregame's really trying to do something different. So now my day is involved in speaking to the forum when I get a chance, trying to educate via my newsletter, via Twitter throughout the day, and getting down my bets and then passing along to all my clients the positions I'm taking. And more importantly, try to educate them 
um, how to wager correctly because I could give you all the winners in the world, but if you don't wager correctly, you're not going to make any money because the truth is you're going to lose in this business, and until you're able to overcome losing, you'll never win. And I try to prepare them you know, as much as I possibly can. You know, that's pretty much the typical day, man. It's pretty much the same all day, trying to gather information, analyze it, find profitable positions, get down on those profitable positions, and be able to pass them along to your clients with a a little bit of advice on how to bet them. Well, a couple points in there that that sort of stick out to me um, amongst many, and, and you've said these before, but they deserve, you know, repeating one the fact that you bet all the games you recommend. I know that all the pregame pros, by and large, uh, really do that. And I know I do it, for for instance, in my little bitty thread. Uh, I bet all the games that I recommend as well. That's a key point that I think people need to know when they're following you, VR, that you're actually putting your money where your mouth is, literally. The- I agree, and I saw you at the Bellagio. You ran up and bet. You know what <laughs> I mean? Right. I was like, all right, he's my kind of people. He's not just talking about this game. I remember we were talking about, it was the NCAA March Madness. We were talking about the next game coming up, and we were going over it, breaking it down, and all of a sudden your eyes lit up like, wow, this is a profitable position. And it took you about three seconds to get in line at the Bellagio. And that's when I told RJ, this guy's one of us. Man. I'm, I'm not I shy. Mean, he's willing to, to back his position, his opinion with money. And that's what I respect because, I mean, we all have opinions, man. And all sports fans that follow sports, love sports, have an opinion. But there's a difference between, you know, putting your money behind your opinion. And I think that's the key. And you're one of the guys that do it. That's why I do respect you as a capper and as a sports better. Well, likewise, you go without saying likewise. And I appreciate you saying that. But I, I'm certainly not shy about running up to the to the desk, that's for sure, and, and, and making a wager. You know, one of the other things you said, VR, is, and you've said this before again, but I, again, it's one of the things that you've said over time that to me resonates almost above all and you once upon a time said and you sort of echoed this just now you said listen these guys are human beings and one of the things that the novice sports better really does believe that there's sort of this you know guy behind the curtain sort of thing and and you once said you know uh, and you say it frequently that if these guys were that good they'd be making the bets. Yeah, they'd be betting into the line, not trying to create a line to balance action, you know. And that's, I mean, that's that sounds like almost a throwaway point, but that more than anything else just says it all. And then when you, when you keep that in mind, it makes all of this make sense, you know, to, to, the, to the novice better. It's sort of like, okay, I get this. So this is not a stacked game against me if, as you say, I do my homework and most importantly... I manage my money. It's over 80% of this thing. Yeah, I, that, that is, honestly, Gil, that's the key. And where I have a, a slight advantage, and I think why I, I was able to be, not become successful quicker, but be able to adapt to, to wagering correctly, um, as much as I learned moving steam for wise guys, men that were sharper than myself, men that, that made more money than I did back then, too, and won more than I did, I'm the first to admit it, you know, you want people that, it's like when you play basketball, you want to you want to play against guys better than you, that's how you're going to learn, and I was fortunate, I worked under men that were better than me, so I was able to learn from them and follow what works, um, but more importantly, I think what one of my advantages is, I was an ex-bookmaker, and I made book for a very long time, and what I realized, and that's why I, I kind of stayed away from the, the selling 
side of this industry, even though I was involved in almost every other, is I was under the impression nobody won. And I didn't believe nobody, everybody lost because they couldn't pick winners. I was under the impression everyone lost because they didn't know how to wager. And it wasn't even a matter of whether this guy could hit more than 50%. It was a matter of how long before he slips up. And what I realized is people make their biggest mistakes when they're winning or when they're losing. When you're winning, you know, all reason goes out the window. You feel confident. You bet more than you should. You know, you, you do these things that just don't make sense when you're trying to run a business. Or when you're losing, that's when the other time people make mistakes. They dig bigger holes. They, you know, they change what they're doing. And I think that's where the books have their edge. I don't believe that the odds makers really depend as much on the betters losing more than 50% of their wagers. I think the sports books, at least from my experience, depends on the better making a mistake and not knowing how to manage their wagers correctly because the wise guys don't hit. These betting syndicates that I'm talking about, and this was back in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, you know, late 90s before the Internet was so huge and information wasn't so widespread. I mean, these guys were, were so far ahead of the game, so far ahead of the odds makers. And even then, Gil, these guys were 57, 58% cappers. And mm-hmm. these are guys that, you know, revolutionized the industry forever. And books are written about and people talk about. And yet, they'll sit down and tell you straight up, they're not 60% handicappers. I mean, that that's a far... Fa- I mean, you might have a 60% year on occasion, but that's not the number they're reaching for. And I think I was able to learn that, you know what, with 56, 57%, these guys are making quite a living, and the reason they're doing it is because they're wagering correctly for being able to hit that percentage. You know what I'm saying? Because once you start changing your wagers, I, I mean, the winning percentage that you have to attain to turn a profit changes with each wager you make. Mm-hmm. And what happens is people tend to make this game more difficult than it truly is. Well, that's, I mean, wow. What I mean, what a great point. The fact that the books rely on poor money management as much, if not more, than anything else. That's huge. Absolutely. That's huge. All right, last, last couple of things before we get into this phenomenal uh, sports weekend. And sort of, by the way, this sort of sneak up on us phenomenal sport weekend, because I think a lot of people had the derby sort of on the horizon, and then all of a sudden it snuck up on us. And, That's uh, so true. And then the boxing match is here, too. So um, the, the one thing is calling your fellow runners in the morning. What percentage of your conversations uh, takes the tone of sort of like, oh, man, that line is crap. We're going to crush that. I mean, what, what percentage of that is that kind of talk? It, it, it's, it is. It's pretty much all that kind of talk. Um, how it goes is, Ace, this is what we're looking at. Um, uh, these are the games that, that we're, we're looking to take a position on. This is the prices um, we're hoping to get. And then they'll throw out, this is the one we're supposed to take the biggest side on. Or we're waiting, um, we're hoping nobody else steps up and fires on this game because the public's going to push it that way. And, and we start to discuss how the market's going to react throughout the day. And when 
these wagers are going to be placed, if they're going to be placed, and we kind of just discuss the board in that day. You know, I go over a couple results and talk about <laughs> gossip about certain handicappers, you know, <laughs> certain outfits that are hot and some that aren't. Because, I mean, they all pick off each other's plays. Let's tell it like it is. Back in the day, we were a little more working together, a little more organized. Now, because there's so many of the young guns, so many, you know, guys like yourself that are sharp and win and do so on their own. You know, don't don't need to create this big outfit. Don't need to try to manip- manipulate the the market like you know we used to do back in the day. Because that's what we did. We more or less manipulated the market the way we wanted to, and were able to gain an edge doing so. Now it's a little different because there's a lot more sharp betters out there. Um, it, it isn't like it was back in the day. So I mean, now uh, there's uh, individuals that we respect that get respect. Back in the day, it was syndicates that only got respect. It was what outfit is making this move, um, and, and that's why the number would move. Now, all of a sudden, an individual himself, known as a winning sports better, who, who may not even wager significantly huge amounts, has the ability to to shape the market a little bit and get respect if they're able to show that they win and it's changed that way and so we discuss different guys that are hot different guys that are cold and they ask me what i'm looking at and you know if i have a price that's different we try to figure out what i saw and what i think they saw because what you need to realize is these guys talk to the handicappers day in and day out i mean i was there so i know when you go and pick up your money or drop off your tickets these cappers are there um so you get to pick their brains day in and day out. And I think that's where a lot is gained. And I was fortunate to be in those rooms day in and day out, it, it not even asking questions, but just hearing the type of conversation, the level that these guys reasoned at was just, uh, I mean, at a whole different plateau than your average sports batter. That's, uh, that's so interesting. That's kind of how we feel when we hear you extrapolate on some of these things. I mean, it's very interesting stuff. Who is the, who, maybe you're not at liberty to answer this, but who's the, what's the first call you make every morning? Is there one go-to call, first one? Yeah, the, the first guy I call right away is back east. Uh, a friend of mine I call Cooch. Um, he's as well-connected as anybody in the industry because he's known as good pay cooch. Um, this guy will sit down and watch the game with you if you want to bet 50 dimes and pay you when it's over. Um, so, I mean, he, he was one of the few who back in the day was willing to book any wise guy action. And let me tell you how sharp this guy is, and this is how I got involved. What he would do is, the reason he would take this sharp action is because he would organize his own room for each outfit that he would book and he'd have five, six, seven guys in that room, and as soon as that outfit called him and said Dallas minus three, my man would call that room and say Dallas minus three, and all the guys in there would start betting Dallas minus three for him. So even though he had to give that outfit ten dimes to get the play, he was getting down 30 on that play for himself. He was one of the first to be to see, you know, back in the day, they'd cut us off, Gil. I've been dropped by more bookmakers than I, I can't even remember how many had dropped us. That's you know, awesome. uh, half pay, half don't. You know, they give you the envelope and they say, lose my number. You know, once they realize you're moving steam. Back then, I mean, it's when 
everybody started hearing the hot game, the hot game, and we were all chasing the same nickel, you know, and uh, trying to infiltrate books. Um, so he's the first call I make because I know he's got his hand in everything from the bookmaking aspect, the wise guy aspect, the square, the I mean, this guy knows his stuff. So before anything, I like to run my stuff by him and see what he's looking at because I'm going to take a real close look at anything he says. And, of course, his name is something like Cooch, too. Can't be like George or something like that. No, no, no. He's right out of central casting. <laughs> and back in the day, to be honest with you, the first call was Bill, Boogie Bill, but um, uh, he's old, man. Let's tell it like it is. And he's not as into his, his work as he used to be. I mean, he loves what he does. It is who he is. But, I mean, you know, he used to be day in, day out working and stuff like that. So now he, he's a little further down the totem pole. He ain't going to listen to this, so it's okay. But uh, he's not the number one call like he was back in the day. And wasn't it a badge when a book dropped you, though, VR? Wasn't it a, a little bit of a badge of honor, though, at that point? Yeah, I mean, you knew. You knew. I mean, like, these guys fear your action. And it's I funny, it. eventually you start to learn. And when a guy would, when, when I, I used to pay people, dude, no lie, uh, I'd give either $300 up front if you got me in a book, if you gave me, hook up, hook me up with a book, or I'd, I'd give a percentage of our winnings. And most people thought everyone loses, so very few people took option B and wanted a percentage. I mean, dude, you know how I got involved, no lie? You know what it is to be a bookmaker? And for a better to approach you, Gil, and tell you, dude, if you give me a dime a game, I'll give you 20% of everything I beat you for. Book That's makers. how I got introduced to the wise guys. That is awesome. A, a gentleman approached me, a bookmaker, and said, if you take my action, I'll give you 20% of everything I beat you for. You're like, I'm I, in. Yeah, that's incredible. You know what I mean? And that's what we were doing back then. Wow. So, I, I mean, that is a badge of honor when these books say, no moss, man. I just just lose my number. I, this is something I don't want to even deal with. And a lot of times guys would read me off newspaper lines, a new book that I got, you know, and I knew this line had already moved three days ago. And no lie, I wouldn't even bet through them because I knew I'm not going to get paid or, or this isn't, it ain't going to go anywhere. That is an awesome story. I, I can't get the smile off my face thinking about that. <laughs> a, a perfect note to sort of end the the life of yeah, VR. Yeah, I'm sorry. Portion. I'm going all over the place, man. You know, I consider you like a friend. No. I feel like we're just talking over the phone, like having our normal conversation. I know, and we are, and we really are. That's the thing. People like, you know, like, oh, this is a show. No, no, we're just talking. We're just talking. Yeah, so so forgive me, dude, you know, if I'm all over oh, the place. No. I, yeah, I, have a, I love what I do, and if, when I find someone else that's into it as much as I am and can talk for about it like I do. Oh yeah, I, you know I just lose myself. Don't even apologize. I think I, I think <laughs> I think everyone feels the same way. I love hearing that stuff. That's great. Huge weekend now. This is great. I mean, it really sort of like I said, it's just sort of. I mean, maybe it's me, but it sort of snuck up on me because it really did, dude. Yeah, the Derby's like one of these things you're thinking, okay, it's a it's a you know a rite of passage in spring, and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, it's May. Wow. Yeah, and you're like, it's the first Saturday of May, but. May 1st is Saturday, I think, is why. That's right. You know, it just snuck on you that way is, is how it feels to me, at least. So what do you want to start with? you want to start with basketball and baseball first tonight before we get into uh, horse racing and boxing? What, what catches your eye tonight? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, great, great basketball games. The, the first thing that sticks out to me most is... It's funny. We all talked about how the West is, you know, where the power is. 
and um, you know that's the tough league, and that's that's where it's at. And they're proving that. I mean, look, these games are going six games possibly seven games we're going to see. And what I'm interested in, in is this. Will the West beat each other up so much that when they finally do meet the Eastern Conference representative, yeah. will the East actually have an advantage because of that? Yeah. I mean, because if you're watching some of these games in the West, they're really physical. I mean, you're not seeing this running gun 125 points scored like back in the day where, okay, Maybe cardiovascular takes a toll on you, but this far in the season, these guys are in such great shape. But what I'm seeing is a physical style of basketball being played in the West. And I really believe this may take a toll when we get to the finals. Um, getting back to today, um, bottom line is this. The team with a 3-2 edge has an advantage to close out a series. Historically, um, that is a proven fact. Um, when a team's at home with an opportunity to close it out up 3-2. Um, yesterday the Spurs did so, so I believe now the percentage is even higher going into yesterday. 70% of all teams up 3-2 playing game six at home close it out in the first round of the NBA um, playoffs. 70%. Um, we got two, of, two out of three of those uh, games tonight is that exactly. situation. Exactly. Both Milwaukee and both Utah fall into that category. The sample size isn't so huge because the road team, which is for the series, Milwaukee and Utah are both the road teams, aren't supposed to be up 3-2 to two with a chance to close it out That's game right. six. Right. Um, you know, on the flip side, the Lakers, they fall into a category where it's around 58-59% that they're able to close it out on the road. So, you know, better than a coin flip, but but not as strong as the Milwaukee and Utah sides. Um, that's what surprised me most about this Atlanta-Milwaukee line. Historically, Milwaukee should close this out. But what's happening is, Betters just can't believe what they're seeing. That's right. You know, Milwaukee is not supposed to be up 3-2. to two. I mean, when you first saw that series begin, uh, you thought it was going to be over quick. Milwaukee loses the first game by 10, loses the second game by 10. Then all of a sudden, they win game three at home. Okay, Atlanta just had a bad day. But then Atlanta comes back, beats them again. Yeah. I mean, Milwaukee, Milwaukee beats them again, yeah. game four. Mm -hmm. Okay, Atlanta's supposed to win game five at home. What happens? They let Milwaukee stick around. Milwaukee gives it to them. So now, to be honest with you, this team has no pressure on them. I mean, Milwaukee knows there's a tomorrow. So I think they're going to play a wide-open style of basketball and have some fun. And that could be dangerous because Atlanta, I believe, is going to be the tighter of the two. They're going to be the one where every shot matters. And they got their backs against the wall right now. And the last thing that you want as the dominant team is to give, you know, the inferior team uh, an opportunity where they love what they're doing. You know, they're having fun at it. And Milwaukee, without their one of their keys coming into this series, all of a sudden has a chance to advance. I think that's very intriguing. I still have to break that matchup down. Moving quicker along to the Lakers, Oklahoma City. I gave out yesterday the under in that game um, on the podcast um, that I do with Marco. I, I just think this is as tough as a game as you're going to get. I really think Phil Jackson 
is going to put the pressure on Oklahoma City um, to do that. I believe he's going to slow the pace down, and he's going to make every possession matter. Because they're an inexperienced team, because they're young, you want to force them to make decisions. And I think Phil Jackson's excellent at, at making other teams do that. So I think this is going to be one of those slower, methodical games. That's why I tend to like the under. As far as the side historically Lakers could close them out, but this Oklahoma City team played so well at home, it's very hard to buck them, you know, right now. Um, going down to the final game, Denver-Utah, what a series. Again, people fell in love with Denver, now all of a sudden people can't stand Denver. Yeah. Um, they, they, held, they did what they were supposed to, they covered that last game, but Utah has a chance to close them out right here. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit surprised at the price. Um, that's the only thing that sticks out to me the most because even though Utah covered both games at home, game three and four, they were only two and a half point favorites. Yes, they covered the number by much more, but now we're looking at almost double that today. And I just don't know if you could justify in a five day period an adjustment of three points on a side. So, you know, that to me, that's a, a red flag goes up right away. And I, I need to dig a little deeper and see, is this based on perception or is it the real value of the team? Did the odds makers just make a mistake coming into the series on how strong Utah was, thinking yeah. that they're weaker than they truly are or thinking Denver's better than they truly are? And you make a good point. You know, the, what a difference a week and a half makes because Denver was such the darling headed into the playoffs. And just to, sure. to clarify on the numbers of the three games we're talking about, Atlanta two-point favorites at Milwaukee with the total at 189.5 at the at the point of this podcast. Uh, Thunder, a one-point favorite hosting the Lakers in Game 6 with a number at 194.5. And, and then that Utah game we just talked about, Utah right at this moment, five-and-a-half-point favorites at home against the Nuggets, totals at 216. So that's that's very interesting. Going yeah, and the tonight. Sharps I already spoke to believe that Utah's going to get the six. Uh, and the reason behind it, the reasoning behind why they're being forced to adjust this number, believe it or not, isn't steam behind the Jazz. This is why you're seeing the reluctance to go to six so far by a lot of these books, or else they would have already gotten there if it got steam, the Utah side. But it's a case of teasers doing so much damage to these books right now in the playoffs mm -hmm. because of the amount of favorites covering the number. When you have this many favorites covering the number, the books are getting hurt because people are tying up two, three, four-team parlays, three, four, five-team teasers, and they're cashing them. And when the book has to pay out 5, 10, 15 to 1 on wagers, it's tough to make that money back from the VIG and straight bets. So I think that's what we're seeing now, that they're having to adjust for these favorites that are around that five or six range because the betters are going to the window and teasing them down strictly to have to win the game, and they're doing it. The public loves doing that with the tease down to, to zero pretty much. That's a, that's And they love it even more in football, as we know, of course, doing that. Yeah, yeah, they do. All right. Uh, anything on the MLB card that sticks out? Uh, a couple new series starting today, and, and to be honest with you, I always um, – and mostly cautious in this fir in the first game of the series. I believe every series has a type of ebb and flow to it, and 
by seeing how that first game finishes, even based on the line and the total, it, it, for some reason myself, I don't know if other handicappers do, but I get more of a, a feeling for games two and three. Hmm. Interesting. Um, for some reason, I love having a result to lean on going forward, and that's what I love about baseball, that these same teams meet three or four times um, in a row and over Imagine the that. same three or four days. Get to watch them play. Imagine that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the, the one thing that sticks out to me most, again, and I keep saying this, and there probably people are sick of hearing VR say it, but I'm going to stress it again. Right now, the favorites, you're paying a premium for favorites in Major League Baseball. Absolutely. And you're going to continue paying a premium for favorites in Major League Baseball until these playoffs are over. Because what's happening is the betting public is not straight betting baseball right now. I mean, very few straight bets. I'd say it's maybe 15% of all money wagered is is going on straight bets, 85 on parlays when we're talking Major League Baseball right now. And what's happening is people are tying up these favorites into parlays, and they're even tying them up with basketball, meaning if they love the Lakers to try to get more value for their ticket, Mm -hmm. they're looking for a minus 200, minus 250 favorite that they think can't lose, and they tie that up into a two-teamer, into a three-teamer, And what happens is the books are forced to take the value out. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, can you believe this early? Here we are, end of April, and we've already seen a minus 300 favorite in Major League Baseball last night. Yeah. What can justify one team being three times better than another this early on in the season? That's right. Especially when that team has only won eight of 22 games. Yeah. And that's Here are the Dodgers who win one out of every three games they play, and yet they're brought out as close to minus 300 favorites. And what happens? Pittsburgh comes in and wins that game. Mm-hmm. And now you can't make money on that series betting the favorite. The books already sit back with their feet up, knowing they could chalk that one in the books as a winner. And what that game did was limit and eliminate so much liability and exposure that the books had going to basketball. Because if the Dodgers won, the amount of money that was tied in with the Dodgers parlays with Phoenix would have killed the books. But when the Dodgers didn't win, all that money on Phoenix wasn't live. It was dead money now. And, you know, even though Phoenix ended up winning and you would think the books took a hit, which they did, they took a slight hit, it wasn't as significant as it would have been if a team like L.A. got the job done yesterday because, like I said, they were on everyone's parlays tied up with NBA. So you really got to be careful right now. I'm not saying bet all the dogs, but what I'm saying is don't bet all these big favorites, man. You just you can't justify right now laying 240, 250 um, this early in the season. And remember, I'm one of those people that are not afraid to lay it. You know, I'll lay 400, 500 with a smile on my face if I think I'm going to get paid in a couple hours. But right now, the truth is, you're not going to find a minus 200 favorite that should actually be 280. 
Well, Maybe a little later in the season you will, but this early on, that's just not the case. So you really got to be careful if you're looking for that lock in baseball and you think because it's got a big price tag on it, it can't go down. See, I, I don't think you can make that point enough times. That's phenomenal. And to, and to your point, the Marlins tonight, minus 220, the Braves, minus 200, the Cardinals, minus 205, the Dodgers, minus 230 again, the Yankees, minus 255. I mean, it's all over the board today. Oh, the, the and, Rays. And the books are just playing a numbers game. What people don't understand is all they need to do is win one of them. Yeah, to kill so many parlays, and if they catch, if they win one, and another one doesn't even cover the run line, you get a one-run winner by the Yankees or something like that. Then they make you out even better because mm-hmm. people are betting the run lines on these too. Um, so that's all they're trying to do is is they don't care which one of these big favorites go down as long as one of them does. And I, they know that it's going to lo- wipe out a lot of tickets. And I would guarantee, pretty much, at least one of them is going to go down. Not all of them yeah, are going to win. I'd agree with you there, brother. Yeah. And and that's actually, VR, it's, it's funny you bring that up. That's actually one of the points that you and I first connected on, because one of the things that I said to you, uh, and this was very early April or even late March, and I said to you, I go, you know what's interesting is that uh, I have the philosophy that I bet baseball right from the beginning of the season, largely you know, based on the point that you just made, I think there's so much market value. There's so much inefficiency in the market, and we can exploit the value in there. And you immediately latch. And I said to you, I go, there's actually there's some people that, you know, and even some some seasoned cappers who sort of yeah, disagree that with that point. That would, because early on, all you're betting into a market that's built the foundation on perception. Yeah. Not true intrinsic value of a team. You don't know that until, uh, you know, we go into the season. All you have is a bunch of stats from last year and, you know, what you anticipate to happen this year. So wh- wh- the whole market's just based on this perception. The whole, the whole premise is, is not, you know, on anything true. It's just a, a perception. So you have such a huge advantage early. Later on, as the season goes on, and you do have stats to work with, you do have numbers to work with, you, you can come up with a more accurate um, you know, probability of Team A beating top Team B. So then you're able to you know, calculate that and create a money line to compare. Later on, you could do that and know you're more accurate because you have the data to back it up. Yeah. Early on, you have no data to back it up. Um, you know, so I think the player has a huge advantage if they're not afraid to step in and picks off some of those dogs. And I know you do it. You look at it. You're not afraid to bet a dog. Oh, no. I mean, and, and I, I mean, what you said, I'm sitting here nodding in, in an empty room to myself because this, it's exactly what you and I connected on first. And it's what I sort of tried to articulate in my, uh, in my first podcast with RJ last week. It's like, I definitely do bet differently at different points of the season. And you described it perfectly right there. I mean, early in the season, it's all about market exploitation. That's all it's about, really. I mean, not all, exactly. but but that's such a driving force. Oh, uh, for sure, dude. You know, and that's process. why I haven't bet any big favorites yet. You know, and later on, I'll be the first to admit, if I like a minus 170 and I have the data to back it up, I'm sorry, but I'm going to the window with it, you know, and this early on, though, the data just doesn't justify it. So I try to stay away from those, you know, even if I like them, and look for a more reasonable priced 
MLB, you know, sides, that I can at least justify laying up to this price or taking the dog. And I think you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head, and I think that's what makes um, some betters more successful than others, that you understand that the market conditions change, the market reaction changes. And as a better, you need to be able to, to change with it. Even better, change ahead of it, but at the very least, change with it and, and not be afraid to you know, use those different approaches at different times of the season. Yeah, and by the way, I mean, people should know that's that's the type of thing you don't learn season one or even in season five. You you, you do it for years and years, and then you sort of figure stuff out. You're like, oh, I get it's it It's the now. education we pay, brother. Like I tell everybody when they say, how do you do it? You know, it's not easy, man. You know, I see these kids out here, and they come with the big dreams of being professional sports bettors. You know, and six months later, I see them at the book with their heads down, and, you know, and they're they're contemplating, do I go back home? What do I do? And I told them, brother, if you're going to go, you know, to be a doctor, if you're going to go to be an accountant, if you're going to go be something else, you're going to pay for that education. You're going to put in hours of study, mm-hmm. and you're going to have to pay your tuition. If you're going to become a winning sports better, or better yet, a professional sports better, then you're going to have to pay once again for that education, and you're going to have to put in the same amount of study time you would for any other profession. Don't think because you watch Sports Center for 12 years that all of a sudden you're going to come in and beat the world of laying 11 to win 10. It's just not that easy. You know, most of us sports bettors have gone broke at one or more times in our lives. That's the price of the education, mm-hmm. my friend. There's no ways around that. I wish, you know, I could teach everyone the shortcuts, and I try to, but more times than not, just like in anything else in life, you have to slip and fall on your own, you know, to learn. We, we could try to, to, to learn from others, but more times than not, we need to learn on our own. And that's what I tell people about sports betting. It's no different than anything else in life. You better be willing to pay for your education, and you better be willing to put in the time it takes to be a professional, just like anything else. You know, there's no shortcuts, brother. Yeah, not one amongst us hasn't learned the hard way. I mean, that's so true. Sure. Not one. All right, what are you at liberty to tell us about the Derby tomorrow? I'll, I'll tell you, last year I hit the derby, my man, you know, and I'm not a horse player. I even sat out a Marco's Kentucky Derby podcast yesterday because I, I actually, you know, I'm the first to admit I'm not a horse player. The only time VR ever bets horses is when I get them from somebody that I trust that I know makes their living betting horses. And once in a while, you know, I'll bump into someone at the book and they'll say, hey, I got a good one in, in this small track, this obscure track, and I'll bet it. And with the derby, what you need to realize is, uh, you know, professional bettors understand that the derby, you're looking at million-dollar horses all across the board. Even though there's dead money and there's value, how these guys try to, to clean up and make money is by hitting pick threes, hitting daily doubles, trying to hit the pick six because of all that dead money in the pool. Not necessarily trying to peg the the horse that's going to win in place or show um, in the main race. So you need to understand that first. When it comes to derbies, Breeders' Cup, there's no luck in that race. And nothing's proven that more by looking at the the last 10 years, the prices of the horse that won. Um, So... When it comes to the Derby, what I do is tomorrow morning, I walk around, I hit the couple books, and hopefully I bump into two or three guys that I know make their living betting horses. And sometimes all three happen to mention the same horse. 
and that's what happened last year, and I won it. And this year, once again, when I get it, I'll pass it along to my clients, either in the morning moves or, or via somehow. Um, but right now, I'll tell you the truth. The horse that I was looking at is Mission Impassable. Hmm. It's about 20 to 1 right now. It's a Todd Pletcher horse. And the only reason, I'll tell you the truth, I'm not going to sit here and try to act like some horse you know, handicapper that knows what he's talking about <laughs> and going to talk to you how how well he ran the quarter and, and like that. Uh, I'm just going to tell it to you straight. I've been hearing some good things on this strip about it. That, you know, th- th- this horse came in first in the Louisiana Derby off a really good race and that, you know, it's got a shot at 20 to 1 that's got some value. Now, tomorrow, will I, that be the horse that I bet to win in place? I can't tell you guarantee, guys, and I don't want to, you know, lie to you. But right now, that's one that I'm hearing, and it'll probably make it in there somewhere. I'm hearing good things about another Pletcher horse, Devil May Care. Um, but again, I'm not a horse better. No, that's I cool. I will give out the derby tomorrow, brother. Hopefully we hit another one like we did last year. But, yeah, you know, that's the best you're going to get from VR when it comes to the derby. No, I like it. You see, that's I think that sort of adds to your credibility, if you want to know the truth, because you're the first one to say, hey, you know, this isn't my thing. I'm hearing a little mission impassable. I don't know if I'm going to bet it, but I'm just going to tell you that's what I'm hearing right now. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's the truth, you know. It's not my, my thing. I'm one of those guys that don't have an ego. I don't need to be the smartest guy in the room and i've realized that at a very young age the most successful people what i realized used to do is know who was the best at each thing and surround themselves by those people so when it comes to horses i'm going to try to find those guys that i know are the best at what they do and see if maybe they could pass on a, a, a tidbit of information just like when they want a, a winner in a playoff game they know to call me you know what I That's mean? Right. So you, you need to focus on what your strengths are instead of, you know, trying to do everything good. Try to do a couple things great. Hey. It makes life easier. Yeah, man, man. Part of what makes a great handicapper great, knowing knowing your own sort of your strengths. Limitations. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So speaking of it, we, we talked moments ago, and I know we're going a little over, so I want to uh, end Yeah, with... I forgive me, brother. No, dude. You know me. Trust me. I would be here for two hours if you let me, you know, seriously. But we talked we talked a second ago about baseball and that you weren't a guy that was ever afraid uh, to lay odds under the right conditions. Well, here's a sport, boxing, where we see big odds lots of times. And tomorrow oh, night... Oh, yeah, and, and many times, not to cut you off, I have walked to the window and bet minus 500. I'm not afraid. I'm not shy to admit it. Call me a square. I've bet minus 600 without... Uh, uh, any worry at all and the way i looked at it is i'm gonna lay 500 okay maybe i gotta lay five dimes to win a dime okay but if i'm gonna make 20 percent on my money in 30 minutes there's not too many banks that are going to give that to me not too many stocks legal investments yeah that are going to give me that kind of return all about an investment it's a position what 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 it, it has to do with is irrelevant the bottom line is, I believe I'm getting the best of it. That even though I'm putting up five to win one, I truly should be putting up eight to win one. You know, and in boxing, you have to be willing to do that because it's one of those sports where a lot of these guys, their record is make believe. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of them have been handled correctly and. 
it, boxing is, is one of those more shady type sports where, you know, certain fighters get protected and brought up, uh, you know, just to win, hand-picked opponents, where other guys weren't handled correctly from the beginning. Look at a guy like Pacquiao. His losses came early in his career. Yes. Uh -huh. When he was in the Philippines, and he was 108 pounds, and he wasn't handled and managed by the right people. And they were putting him in the ring against guys who were a, way at a higher level at that time. You know, where there's other guys like a Mayweather, where every opponent has been hand-selected. From the beginning of his career to today against Mosley, every opponent has been hand-picked. Even the Mosley pick, which people will say Mosley has a great shot, still, it was not until... Mosley was towards the tail end of his career that Mayweather would be willing to take a chance. Right. What people don't realize is Mosley's coming into this fight as the champ. He's got the belt. Even though Mayweather is the feature attraction, the bottom line is Mosley has the title. And it's a huge disrespect to be a plus 300 dog as a champ. I'm and looking at, I'm looking at plus 400 is, right now. Yeah, usually you're going to say that's a telling sign. The books are telling you the, 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 the champ's going down. And, and many times I would agree with that. But I'm going to tell you this. I see absolutely no value in betting Mayweather tomorrow wow. at minus 4, minus 450. I can't justify it. Yeah, I know he's 40-0 and 0 with 25 KOs. But the bottom line is Mosley is one of the bigger fighters he'll have fought as far as size goes. He walks around bigger than, than Floyd does, and he's been at this weight for a long time. More importantly, he was part of that whole Balco investigation back in 2003. Um, so this is a guy who's juiced, <laughs> who, who, who has that, that extra strength, <laughs> at least from back in the day. And more importantly, even though he's 38, he has some speed still. He could pose a lot of problems. The question is, is Mosley going to go into that defensive role where he just rolls his shoulder and he does them pot shots and wins on a decision, which he's probably going to try to do. If he tries to fight, Mosley has a very strong chin, brother, and he can absorb tons of punishment. I mean, I saw him back in the day get beat up many times and either come back and win or, or take it like a man, you know. And uh, I don't think Floyd's going to want to mix it up with him. So that's the, that's the problem I see. But will Mosley be able to cut off the ring? And I think a couple times he will. And if he's able to shake, you know, Floyd's confidence a bit, we might see a fight out of this. Truth is, my money's going to go on Mosley. There it is. I think that's... I think that's where the value is. I mean, I, I hate, you know, going against a guy that's 40 and 0. You ain't going to get rich doing it, obviously. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> haven't cashed the ticket yet. But I'm not willing to lay 450 on this guy. And I really believe that at plus 300, there's some definite value on this world champion. And uh, that, that's where my money's going to go tomorrow night, brother. They are bringing it. Mosley, the pick. I will tell you, you know, someone asked me the, uh, yesterday, they're like, are you buying the, uh, the Mayweather-Mosley fight? And my reaction was, I have seen, just as, betting aside now, as just a casual boxing fan, I find Floyd Mayweather Jr. 
to be the most boring champion. Oh, God. Oh, he's just awful to watch because he just, you know, he sticks, he moves, that's it. He outpoints you. He's never hurt. He rarely, you know, when he fights a, a big-time fighter, not like he's really dishing out a lot of punishment either. Um, but now, after talking to you, I don't know. Maybe I'll... Uh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, Floyd fights like they're wearing headgear. And you're trying to fight for points. Like, if you ever watch yep. amateur fighting, yep. you know, here in Vegas, I go to a lot of shows. And that's how he fights. Still that style, where all I have to do is outpoint my opponent, not finish my opponent. And, you know, it's worked successfully for him. But tomorrow night, he's going up against a very seasoned fighter who's gone the distance, who's been in wars, and who's not intimidated in the least. More importantly, I don't think Floyd could hurt him. And once Mosley realizes that, and he's willing to absorb some punishment, I think he's going to be able to get inside. And if this kid lands some of those shots, I mean, he put down Margarito. And we know that Mayweather avoided Margarito like the plague. That was the one guy he would not fight back when, when they were at their prime. He did everything he had to to avoid the Margarito fight. And Mosley beat him down, made him quit. So Mosley could finish this fight where I don't think Mayweather can. So if I'm going to lay 400, I need to know my guy's going to make an easy night of it, like Pacquiao did in his last fight where he's going to pitch a shutout and you're going to win 10 rounds to nothing. Yeah. Or I need to know he could knock him out. And I don't think Mayweather could do either of those. I don't think he could win 10 nothing, 12 nothing, and I don't think he's going to knock out Mosley. So I got to go give the guy a shot, man, at plus 300. Why not? I like it. By the way, there's something you said in there, VR, that I, I would be remiss not to go back on. You said you go to a lot of shows in Vegas. What's your favorite show in Vegas, just out of curiosity? I find this fascinating. Box, you, I, I love going to see, tell you the truth, any mixed martial arts when I get great good seats. It's just a rush, man. It's such a good time um, because the people are so into it. Um, number two, I can't lie, is boxing. A I think they're close, 1A, 1B. Boxing's more extravagance, a night out when you get dressed up and you get to see everybody, and it's, it's just an event. And watching live boxing is just incredible, dude, especially when you have really good seats. It's just awesome. Other than that, you know, all these Vegas shows, I'll tell you the truth. After seeing all the, the, the Cirque du Soleil shows, I, I'm, I, they're, they're incredible, I guess, but I could only see a guy do a flip so many times before it's not that impressive anymore. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't love going to those that much, to tell you the truth, and I prefer more a Phantom of the Opera type show, more wow. of a Broadway show. Look at and that. now at least we have plenty of those that, that come through or, 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 or stay so I think that you can't go wrong, man. Out here, that's the one good thing. We're the entertainment capital of the world, so anything that's worth seeing will make its way through here. It's funny. I have the same trajectory with my with my Cirque du Soleil shows, too. I loved O, loved the Beatles one, and then after that, I'm like, okay, I've seen it. I don't need to go anymore. Yeah, Beatles one was the best, I think, because of the music, too. Yeah, I love it. That, was, that one I enjoyed, that love. I'll admit, I was wearing my favorite. But after seeing, like, Mystere... And O and Ka, oh, yeah. it was like, you know, they're incredible what they do, but you can only do a flip so many times. Yeah, and they all start to run into each other. Yeah, I mean, it could, you know, 
doing those things you know, after you see them over and over, they're not as impressive as the first time. I just want to tell you that this last part was even more insightful than you calling Cooch every morning. <laughs> that is <laughs> you you breaking down handicapping the shows of vegas that is outstanding <laughs> all right so i think we You're covered too it much, brother. i think we covered it baseball basketball horse racing boxing not gonna get too many more sports in one show than that vr you dude are the man i appreciate it and i may just have to ride you on sugar shane take a shot with the sugar baby why not yeah. might come out sweet tomorrow dude you never he might just shock the world dog i'm saying why do we do this if we're not going back a plus 400 you know dog for goodness he sake he just might shock the world i love it vr vegas runner we'll do this every friday i hope yeah, absolutely, man. You know, I look forward to talk. We talk. The funny thing is, me and Gil talk for like a half hour before we get on. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll definitely be each and every Friday, man. Looking forward to it. And the best thing is, the weekend's always what's huge. So it's a great day for me to be on. Thank you. Yeah, and it'll be great during football season, especially. Oh boy. Yeah, man. Vegas runner Gil Alexander, betting dork. Thank you so much for listening. Have a phenomenal weekend, everybody. It's-